Hello and welcome to Scintillating Stories. In this show we read short stories by a variety of authors. While we are past April Fool's Day, here at Yorick Radio we love to mark one of the silliest days of the year. So today we are reading some poems from Hilary Belloc's satirical takes on children's cautionary tales. After the massive success of Stuhlpeter, there was a boom in books with children that received horrifically disproportionate punishments for being naughty or having bad habits. This collection parodies their small-minded values, hilariously unnecessary dark endings, and the greatest crime of all, their inconsistent meter. Cautionary Tales for Children by Hilary Bullock Henry King, who chewed little bits of string and was early cut off in dreadful agonies. The chief defect of Henry King was chewing little bits of string. At last he swallowed some which tied itself in ugly knots inside. Physicians of the utmost fame were called at once, but when they came they answered, as they took their fees, "'There is no cure for this disease. Henry will very soon be dead.' His parents stood about his bed, lamenting his untimely death. When Henry, with his latest breath, cried, "'Oh, my friends, be warned by me "'that breakfast, dinner, lunch, and tea "'are all the human frame requires.' "'With that, the wretched child expires.' Matilda, who told lies and was burnt to death. Matilda told such dreadful lies, it made one gasp and stretch one's eyes. Her aunt, who from her earliest youth had kept a strict regard for truth, attempted to believe Matilda. The effort very nearly killed her, and would have done so had not she discovered this infirmity. For once, towards the close of day, Matilda, growing tired of play and finding she was left alone, went tiptoe to the telephone and summoned the immediate aid of London's noble fire brigade. Within an hour the gallant band were pouring in on every hand, from Putney, Hackney Downs and Bow. With courage high and hearts aglow, they galloped roaring through the town. Matilda's house is burning down! Inspired by British cheers and loud proceedings from the frenzied crowd, they ran their ladders through a score of windows on the ballroom floor and took peculiar pains to souse the pictures up and down the house, until Matilda's aunt succeeded in showing them they were not needed, and even then she had to pay to get the men to go away. It happened that a few weeks later her aunt was off to the theatre to see that interesting play, the second Mrs. Tancaray. She had refused to take her niece to hear this entertaining piece, a deprivation just and wise to punish her for telling lies. That night a fire did break out. You should have heard Matilda shout. You should have heard her scream and bawl and throw the window up and call to people passing in the street— the rapidly increasing heat encouraging her to obtain their confidence, but all in vain, for every time she shouted, "'Fire!' they only answered, "'Little liar!' And therefore, when her aunt returned, Matilda and the house were burned. Lord Lundy, who was too freely moved to tears and thereby ruined his political career, 
Lord Lundy, from his earliest years, was far too freely moved to tears. For instance, if his mother said, Lundy, it's time to go to bed, he bellowed like a little Turk. Or if his father, Lord Dominerk, said, Hi, in a commanding tone, Hi, Lundy, leave the cat alone. Lord Lundy letting go its tail would raise so terrible a wail as moved his grandpapa, the Duke, to utter the severe rebuke. When I, sir, was a little boy, an animal was not a toy. His father's elder sister, who was married to a parvenu, confided to her husband, Drat, the miserable, peevish brat, why don't they drown the little beast? Suggestions which, to say the least, are not what we expect to hear from daughters of an English peer. His grandmamma, his mother's mother, who had some dignity or other, the garter or no matter what, I can't remember all the lot, said, Oh, that I were brisk and spry to give him that for which to cry. An empty wish, alas, for she was blind and nearly ninety-three. The dear old butler thought, but here I really neither know nor care for what the dear old butler thought. In my opinion, butlers ought to know their place and not to play the old retainer night and day. <sighs> I'm getting tired, and so are you. Let's cut the poem into two. Lord Lundy, Second Canto it happened to Lord Lundy then, as happens to so many men, towards the age of twenty-six they shoved him into politics, in which profession he commanded the income that his rank demanded, in turn a secretary for India, the colonies and war. But very soon his friends began to doubt if he were quite the man. Thus, if a member rose to say, as members do from day to day, arising out of that reply, Lord Lundy would begin to cry. A hint at harmless little jobs would shake him with convulsive sobs, while as for revelations, these would simply bring him to his knees and leave him whimpering like a child. It drove his colleagues raving wild. They let him sink from post to post, from fifteen hundred at the most to eight and barely six, and then to be curator of Big Ben. And finally there came a threat to oust him from the cabinet. The duke, his aged grandsire, bore the shame till he could bear no more. He rallied his declining powers, summoned the youth to Brackley Towers, and bitterly addressed him thus. Sir, you have disappointed us. We had intended you to be the next prime minister but three. The stocks were sold, the press was squared, the middle class was quite prepared. But as it is, my language fails. Go out and govern New South Wales. The aged patriot groaned and died, and gracious, how Lord Lundy cried. George who played with a dangerous toy and suffered a catastrophe of considerable dimensions. When George's grandmamma was told that George had been as good as gold, she promised in the afternoon to buy him an immense balloon. And so she did. But when it came, it got into the candle flame and being of a dangerous sort, exploded with a loud report. 
The lights went out, the windows broke, the room was filled with reeking smoke, and in the darkness shrieks and yells were mingled with electric bells and falling masonry and groans and crunching as of broken bones and dreadful shrieks when, worst of all, the house itself began to fall. It tottered, shuddering to and fro, then crashed into the street below, which happened to be Savile Row. When help arrived among the dead were Cousin Mary, Little Fred, the footman, both of them, the groom, the man that cleaned the billiard room, the chaplain and the still-room maid, and I am dreadfully afraid that Monsieur Champignon the chef will now be permanently deaf, and both his aides are much the same, while George, who was in part to blame, received, you will regret to hear, a nasty lump behind the ear. Moral The moral is that little boys should not be given dangerous toys. Thank you so much for listening. This story can be read online. I will leave a link in the description. Our submission window is still open till the 30th of April. We will be accepting original pieces of written work to be performed on the podcast. Whether you're a first-time writer or an expert with a pen, we want to hear from you. We are accepting prose, poetry, radio play scripts and critical reviews of books, films or plays. We want to help uplift your creative voice, literally. So have fun and show us what you've got. You can find full details of our submission process on our website, yorickradioproductions.com. There will be a link in the description. This has been a Yorick Radio production.